Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Exactly. You know, um, um, we live in an age where we need to declare that Jesus Christ is alive. So over these uh, weeks, if we can just go to the the message title, over the weeks, uh, we've been uh, beginning to begin to talk about who is this Jesus just as a lead up uh, to uh, Easter. Helen got us off to a a superstar last week by reminding us that this Jesus is a friend of sinners and uh, great message and he really really is and uh, uh, today I want to just talk for a few moments and I've entitled the message that was the week that was that was the week that was and uh, as we uh, think about this I'm going to take us over the next uh, few minutes through uh, the days that lead up to Good Friday just reminding us of some of the things that Jesus had to navigate in what we call Holy Week now if you're old like me you might remember this title from a TV program but believe it or not uh, in a, a relatively few years ago 60s 70s we only had two or three channels. We didn't even have Channel 5 at that time. I'm not sure we need it now, but anyway, I'll move on. But, but, uh, uh, but uh, now you can literally go through you know, several hundred channels. And uh, anybody ever do it? It's normally when you're tired, you just boom, 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 boom. Rubbish, 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 rubbish. You know. Um, but... Um, Anyway, the world's changed. The world is changing before our very eyes. But there was a program uh, that gathered cult, cult status, 37 episodes. It used to be introduced by the late Sir David Frost. And it was a program that came to be known as TW3. That was the week that was. And what it was, it was a, a satirical program. In other words, they, they used ridicule and sarcasm to have a, have a go at the, uh, at the politicians. It was a bit of a precursor to Spitting Image and, and programmes like that. And as Prime Minister Harold Wilson said once, a week is a long time in politics. I mean, it really, really is, isn't it? You know, uh, if, if, if there's anybody here that's still enthusiastic about the Brexit debate, will you come and see me afterwards? Um, because I, can't, I think everybody's wearied, wearied, wearied by it all um, but it was a pop at the politicians that was the week that was it set me thinking about a far greater week than that and uh, this morning at pace I want to just lead us through uh, from Sunday Palm Sunday to Good Friday I'm not going to step into Good Friday too much and I'll explain why in a moment but I just want us to freshly as we understand that Jesus is a friend of sinners to understand some of the things that Jesus in this particular week processed out of his holy sovereign call of being the son of God in the earth. Now, as I've said, and I wrote it in, uh, in the uh, uh, weekly news this week, I, I don't have a problem with uh, calling this week Holy Week, but let me just give you a little rider. You see, in the New Testament, the only time that something is described as holy is people, is people. And all I'm asking you to do is not to replace holy tables, holy days, holy weeks, 
holy relics, holy buildings, holy crosses as a substitute for the only thing that God is after in the new covenant, which is people. Not only people, but people that will be holy. That is the only thing in the new covenant, in the new testament, that God describes as holy. And people have a great uh, sense at times of substituting the real core for the things that don't really matter. So I'm going to use Holy Week, but please with that rider, it's no more holy than last week. It's no more holy than the week after Easter. It's no more holy than September or October. But it just gives us a concentration of thought for this particular season. So let's go to Sunday. Palm Sunday. And uh, the verse that we're going to hang the journey on this morning is Matthew 27, 54. Who is this Jesus? And this was the confession of a hardened, embittered Roman centurion that had seen hundreds of deaths. And as Jesus hung upon the cross, he cried out, surely, truly, verily, all meaning the same word, but surely he was the son of God. And that's where we're going to just hang our message this morning as we go to Sunday, Palm Sunday. What happened on this particular day? Well, in our pre-service meeting, Julie was reading from Matthew 21. And I don't have time to read it this morning, but the Bible references will come up for every point. And if it helps you, then I encourage you to, in this Holy Week, go back to the readings and just let it be part of your journey uh, on, this, on these particular days. But Palm Sunday, all those years ago, Jesus received adoration. There was a prophecy that came out of Zechariah, a prophet of the Old Testament, who many, many years before, hundreds of years before, had foretold the fact that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey or an ass, and that people would cry out to him. And so the story goes that as the disciples and Jesus were at Olivet, he sent two of them to find this donkey, and just a few hours later, Jesus was journeying into Jerusalem. The people laid palm leaves as on the road as he came before them as a sign of adoration, as a sign of recognizing that there was a king coming into their presence. And that, of course, is why we get the name Palm Sunday. And they cried out to the Lord, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. That word Hosanna simply means a declaration of adoration. They were saying, Jesus, you're great. You're amazing. We worship you. We bless you. We recognize you as the king. Sadly, this praise proved fickle. And uh, the cry of Hosanna changed just a few days later to one that railed against the Lord. Julie reminded us in that pre-service prayer that we don't want to be that sort of faithless people that love God on a Sunday but don't really recognize him on a Monday. But we want to live uh, with a Hosanna in our hearts. Uh, you can't necessarily go into the office tomorrow saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Well, you could, but you know, well, somebody try it. But anyway, um, don't, and don't blame me, okay? But the reality is we want to live with that sense of adoration in our hearts. 
unto the Lord. And the reality is that when we come together, when we don't forsake the gathering of ourselves together, when a band strikes up, when music begins to play, when praise fills the air, when we begin to sing our hosannas to God, something begins to happen because praise on earth captures the attention of heaven always. It's why the enemy pushes against praise. It's why he's forever telling every church to be like a library. Shh, quiet, calm down, don't get too excited. He loves, he loves all of that. But the Bible says, praise him in the dance. Praise him with a loud voice. Praise him with raised hands. Praise him with singing. Praise him in all sorts of ways to bring our Hosanna to God. And you may be new to Arena Church, but you probably find out we're not a quiet church. And if I can say it very respectfully, but without apology, we've no intention of becoming one anytime soon. Because we believe in bringing the Hosannas to God. We believe in praise. We believe that when we praise, heaven tunes in. We believe in increasingly that as we praise and worship the God, people are going to get healed in Jesus' name. We believe in that people that have become prodigal, have strayed and wandered forever, for whatever reason, are going to walk back through the door knowing that they've been welcomed home, forgiven and cleansed and washed and set free. We believe in that people are going to come to Jesus for the first time. And so it goes on. We believe in that God's going to give wisdom to you so that if you've got a problem, you'll be able to navigate the answer. This is what happens when we begin to praise and give thanks to the Lord. If I can use the word, and sometimes I'm a little reticent in using it because it's been hijacked, but we believe that God wants to do something supernatural, beyond the natural. Doesn't mean we're going to go weird. Doesn't mean we're going to be here to our past three waiting for God to come. But it means, friends, that we're believing that God is going to do something amazing. And I encourage you to carry your adorations unto Jesus consistently and so we go to Monday and Monday is not adoration but indignation and the verses that carry on from the people welcoming the Lord take us to Jesus in the temple cause and of course we paint many pictures of Jesus amazingly humble incredibly meek wonderfully gracious the boys and girls running to him to be blessed But there was also a sense of Jesus where he spoke strongly into situations. And if I can say it carefully, brought judgment, brought judgment. And so here we see Jesus ministering in the latter, in the second part of Matthew 21. And frankly, he was appalled at what he saw when he went into the temple courts. Because basically the temple had been turned into a marketplace for thieves and crooks. And gentle Jesus revealed himself as a judge. As the Bible says, he drove out the buyers and sellers and overturned the tables. In John 2, 17, it says of Jesus, the zeal for your house has consumed me. One of the reasons we love people to love the house of God and come together is because it follows the example of Jesus. He loved the house. He loved the house of God. He loved the gathering point. Now, in this build-up to the cross and the new covenant, the gathering point in terms of what people would understand was so very, very important. In the Old Testament, as many of you know, there was often a building that people would gather to, a portable building called a tabernacle. 
David's tabernacle and then Solomon's. And then when Solomon's uh, temple got knocked down, Haggai comes to prophesy. So after many, many years, the people would rebuild a gathering point for people. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Testament, God's got a people for his temple. So the reality is today that across the world, lots of people don't have the opportunity to meet in a nice purpose-built a uh, place like this called Arena Church, Ilkeston. But as they gather under the stars, as they gather literally under the palm trees, as they gather under the, uh, under the corrugated uh, roof of just a, a makeshift uh, uh, building place, the reality is that every one of those people, as brothers and sisters of ours, are the house of God. You see, through the cross, the house is nothing to do with bricks and mortar. It's to do with people. And when people come together to worship the Lord, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to inhabit that house with his fullness and with his presence. And this was a prophetic picture of people replacing the house with other things. And Jesus, if I can say it very carefully, was angry, was indignant. And the reality is, friends, that without intention, the Christian church will replace the house with other things. We've had people come to this church and say, this is not a proper church. How can it be a proper church? So, well, what do you mean? Well, there's no, there's no artifacts. There's no, there's no crosses. Um, there's no body walking around with a long robe on. Um, it's not a proper church. And they've completely misunderstood what God is building. He's not building. And I say that respectfully. We've wandered around York Minster, Archbishop, uh, uh, Canterbury Cathedral, Durham. We've been to them all. And there's a sense of awe as you see the architecture and history of those things. But it's no more spiritual. I'm sorry to preach you. It's no more spiritual this morning than this. It's no more spiritual than somebody that's planting a church in a community centre this morning and they've got to wash the floor from the beer from the previous night before. Because when the people gather, the house comes. The house comes. And very briefly, and it's a sermon in itself, there were four things that Jesus should, said should be in the house that are found in that passage. Number one, it's a house of prayer. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Two interpretations of that. One is that the house contains people from many nations. And we're thrilled in the journey of Arena Church that in more recent times, we've had people become part of the community here from other nations. We love what you bring. We believe it's the kingdom of God. And it's when we believe in for more in Jesus' name. And then also a house of prayer for all nations is that every prevailing church ought to be praying for its worlds. Now, some of you carry a bigger burden of that than others. But I'm telling you, going forward, friends, the reach of Arena Church is going to get wider and wider and wider. And it's going to include nations. It's going to, there's going to be other people going on trips. There's going to be other people missioning. There's going to be other people connecting with other contexts. And... Uh, a house of prayer for all nations. So prayer, number two, praise. And he says that out of the lips of the children come praise to you. I've already gone there, so I'll move on. Number three, purity. He couldn't stand all the nonsense that was going on that was ripping people off, so he upturned the tables. And number four, there was power, because in verse 14 he says healings were taking place. 
Now, let me just underscore, Arena, this morning that there are four principles that need to be seen in any prevailing house. When we come together, it may be a Tuesday morning to pray. It may be a first Tuesday to worship and bless the Lord. It may be our Sunday services, which we seek to prepare with consistency on. It may be Good Friday evening. It may be the youth uh, in arena students. It may be right now the kids bringing their Hosanna to the Lord. It may be Friday when there was over 100 uh, old uh, senior citizens in this uh, place being blessed and ministered to. Whatever it is, let's believe that somewhere there'll be prayer. Let's believe that somewhere praise will rise to God. Let's believe that the house will be pure and, and being cleansed by only what Jesus can do. And let's believe for power. Let's, be, let's believe that there'll be words that go from this, from this uh, platform in our praise time that will literally speak into lives and situations and see great turnarounds in Jesus' name. The, the only house, you know, the, Julie will tell you that this house, Mansfield, the house called Arena, takes some work in terms of maintenance, costs, etc. And when somebody says they're going to do a job for you, guess what? It's always more. It's always more. It's always more. And so the reality is there are a lot of complications in this, but the primary goal of Arena is not bricks and mortar. It's not paying the gas bill. Don't tell Chris Stockdale. He's not here this morning. But he it, it does an incredible job on utilities for us. He's passionate about utilities. I mean, passionate. You know, he really is. And he saves us a lot of money. Everybody to the gift. And, uh, and, and uh, uh, he really is. And so we've got people cleaning, we've got people maintaining. But so often we can say, oh, well, this is the house. This isn't the house, you're the house. We, are, we have not come to church this morning. The church has come to the building. I'm not going to fall out with somebody who says, I've come to church this morning. You know that. But you, I, we're the fabric of what God is building this morning. And the reality is, and it's not a prophecy, and of course some of you navigated the fact that you couldn't meet here years ago when it was being rebuilt. It didn't stop the house from coming together. And let's keep building a house that Jesus is not indignant about, but pleased with. Amen. And so we go to uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah. Amen. Not only adoration, not only impartation, but now we've got, uh, sorry, not only adoration, not only indignation, but now we've got impartation. Read these verses. Now, let me just say that uh, these verses, Matthew 25 is probably one of the most hotly debated chapters in the whole of the Bible. And uh, I just encourage you that if you feel that you've got the divine revelation on how it all means, I will introduce you to somebody that believes they've got the divine revelation on it as well, and they'll see a difference. So you have to let charity run in these type of things, because it's talking about end times, it's talking about the abomination of desolation, Oh, you're glad we're not going there this morning, aren't you? But the reality is that Jesus was talking about things and he was imparting into people's lives. And if you follow these verses through, you'll find there's three things that Jesus was asking people about. Number one, he was pointing to his lordship. His lordship was continually contested for in the earth. 
Don't be surprised that Jesus' lordship is still continually contested for in the earth. His passion for you is that you don't only make him the savior of your life, but you make him the master, the lord of your life. That's the greatest place to be, but there's a battle. But he speaks about his lordship. He then speaks about their rejection and the way that they rejected him is through religion. This is not a religious church. It's a relational church. Religion will not get you to God. In fact, it's one of the worst expressions of pride because people think that through their religion, they're good enough to get to God. But when you get um, overwhelmed by the grace of God, when you realize that you need his undeserved favor and the greatest work that you've ever done doesn't mean a jot in order to get saved, then religion just washes away. He spoke to them about that. And he spoke to them about the future purposes of God that ultimately would bring about a reckoning and an accountability for every one of us. We were trying to talk in the ministry school about the eternal. And of course, it's a continual challenge because we're so locked into the temporal. And uh, things that don't really matter, matter to us. Uh, uh, But here's the truth. The Bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. One day, every one of us will stand before the risen creative God and give an account of our lives. And Jesus was bringing impartation to these people to encourage them to be ready. And so with us. And so we come to Thursday. And Thursday was about revelation. And uh, we've, moved, we've moved Gospels to John 13, 1 to 17 to illustrate it. Maundy Thursday. Maundy simply means commandment. This, this uh, Thursday, the Queen will meet with uh, some senior citizens in a particular cathedral around the country and hand out what they call Maundy money. It's basically a, a, an expression of honour to people that have served community well uh, and, uh, and blessed people. Uh, but sometimes it's called Holy Thursday as well. But Maundy Thursday is the night when Jesus met with the disciples uh, for what we know as the Last Supper. Now, about seven years ago, Sharon and me had the joy of, uh, uh, with some of our colleagues of doing a trip to, um, to Israel. And on the final day, we were in what is known as the Upper Room. You always have to just measure these things a little bit uh, in terms of where it goes. But it was just an ordinary room. We'd got a Brazilian group singing uh, I Exalt Thee in the corner. We've got somebody else praying here. But it was just an ordinary place where Jesus met. And uh, Jesus begins to speak to the disciples and he gives them a revelation. I think Helen alluded to this last week, but don't forget that disciples have been jockeying for position. Who's going to be at your right? Who's going to be at your left? Who's the best, Lord? Who's your favourite? Who are you going to use? He said, hang on a minute. Uh, can you get me that bowl of water, please, and, and a towel? And he begins to wash yeah. the disciples' feet. Whoa! We, we weren't expecting this. And then Peter said, well, if you're going to wash my feet, wash me all of them. I mean, didn't he dive in? I mean, and uh, Jesus says, you don't get it. You know? And he began to speak to the people and bringing them a revelation of what Christian lead and Christian ministry is all about. It's not jockeying for your name in lights. It's being on your knees with a towel and a bowl of water, serving people, serving people. 
And Jesus is still looking today, friends, for servants. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died for his faith at the end of the Second World War, great ministry on discipleship, if any of you get all of his books, he said that the, that the church does not need brilliant personalities. It needs simply faithful servants. Why not more servants? Well, because here, servanthood is often unseen, it's often unrewarded, and it's often unappreciated. Don't be surprised if you get down here and start to serve people. Some of them kick the water straight back in your face and walk off. Are you going to keep serving? Servanthood. But I want to encourage people all across this room this morning as we are engaged in Holy Week to freshly commit to serving. We never cease to be awed and amazed at what people do in Arena Church. I've recently sat in a couple of meetings, one that I chair and the other one I was just invited to be in. And I came away very, very impacted from both of those meetings about brilliant people in our church that are doing things that many of us don't know about, but they make arena work. They don't only make arena work in a service, they make arena work week by week, month by month. Sometimes they're taking on some really difficult challenges. Sometimes in terms of connecting with community, having to navigate some, uh, some real issues, but doing it with great integrity, with great resiliency, and they are serving. People that serve early this morning to get the car park ready, People that serve early this morning to make sure that we could have a caffeine intake to boost us as we get towards the meeting. Thank you, Roland. People that serve us on back desks. The only time you turn around is when it goes wrong. And, uh, and so, it goes, so it goes on. So it goes on all over the place. And of course, the reality is for all of us, friends, we have to navigate the price of service. I'm not saying this morning that you shouldn't go out of your way to say thank you to people, to encourage people and to cheer them on. But the inevitability is at times that our serving is not seen by everybody. Our serving at times seems to go unrewarded. Even though Jesus says, even if you give a cup of water in my name, it has a reward. And our serving on occasions seems to be unappreciated. I encourage every servant heart across this room this morning to do exactly what Jesus patterned to his disciples on Monday, Thursday evening. And that is to have a fresh revelation that your serving brings the kingdom. And that when you serve, you're making far more difference than you could ever realize. Serving reflects Christ. Serving reveals our heart. And serving touches other people's lives. Follow the example of the servant king and live in the revelation that the greatest way to lead and the greatest way to bless people metaphorically I mean you can't get around you can't do life like this you know what I'm saying but the great the metaphor is that on your knees with the towel and with the bowl of water you will bring the kingdom and so we come to Friday Palm Sunday adoration Monday indignation and he had a passion for the house Tuesday, Wednesday, impartation, reminding people that one day they'll give an account before him. Monday, Thursday, revelation of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Good Friday, humiliation. Now, I'm not going to go here because our speaker for Friday 
will bring our attention to this as we gather at seven o'clock next Friday evening. Simply to say that going back to our verse in Matthew 27, surely this was the Son of God. The hill where Jesus died is called the place of the skull. It's also called Calvary. Let me just read this verse to you. God is love, I breathe it in the air around me. God is love, I see it in the heavens above. God is love, one uh, one nature does agree, but the greatest proof of his love for me is Calvary. Uh, We can't overplay, friends, the cost that Jesus uh, uh, paid for us. We can't can't underestimate uh, the humiliating journey that he took on that uh, Friday, often that now is down what they call the Della Rosa that has become incredibly commercialised. But a lonely path to bear the cross so that you and I could be saved. As I say, more on Friday. And so that was the week that was. It started with adoration. And may we be ever filled with hosannas to the Lord by what we say and how we live. It goes to Monday. And may we be ever reminded that Jesus is passionately interested in the house. And the house is you and I coming together with prayer and purpose and power and praise and being filled with him. We look at that week and see that Jesus wanted to teach and still wants to teach. And bring us to a place that whenever God calls us to that eternal place, we're ready to face him and hear the words, good and faithful servant. We come to Maundy Thursday, letting the revelation of servanthood wash over our lives again. And Holy Week takes us to Friday, a place of humiliation where the God-man, the man-God, stood as a bridge between the almighty, pure, just, holy God and fallen, sinful man. And here we are 2,000 years later, still able to speak with love and grace the good news story that whatever you've done, wherever you've been, However you feel, God loves you and there's a way back to him. This Holy Week, journey with it. Read the verses. Let God touch your life again because the most important thing he's interested in is holy people. I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. May we, with a fresh sense of revelation and adoration, this Holy Week cry out as the Roman centurion did. Surely you are the son of God.